Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Sorry, everybody. I had to drink my coffee. Try saying that word. It's a great character. I had a sociology professor in college because that was my minor. I don't like to talk about it a lot because I'm worried it'll make people think I'm smarter than I actually am. (laughs) But he sounded exactly like a fusion of both car talk guys. Like a perfect, a perfect fusion, like a Dragon Ball Z fusion of these two gentlemen into one sort of perfect. And he, he said that word a lot. Go some coffee. It's so powerful. <laughs> this is wonderful. This is a show where we talk about things that are good and things that we like, things we're into. And it's I, I think we recorded our last episode in a bit of a um, a weird spot. And uh, guess what? We're doing that a second time in a row today, I would argue. Things are still a bit weird, but we're going to talk about things we like, things that are good, things they're into. Like my old sociology professor, whose name I've forgotten. <laughs> oh. how, you, how are you feeling? How are you? Uh, I mean... Mind, in, body, spirit. Okay. It depends on the vector, right? Yeah. Um, I am very pregnant. Yes. Uh, which is challenging. You sent a Marco Polo. It snowed in Austin. <laughs> you sent a Marco Polo to your friends of uh, the snow outside. I was breathing so heavy. And Rachel was breathing so, like, literally, like, <sighs> like a pervert was, like... Spying on a Marco Polo. We or something. Uh, we wanted a house with stairs, yeah, because uh, we wanted some separation back when we had people over from uh, each other. From each other, we have our own bedrooms, and we needed them on different no, floors. No, come on. No, we wanted to be able to put a child to sleep in a room that would not be interrupted yeah. by noise, and we got that. But now it doesn't matter, and all it means is that I am doing stairs all day long. Yeah. And I can't breathe. But folks, you look at either one of our calves. Oh, I mean, great my calves. God, the calves in this household are out of control. Even Henry's got calves for days. <laughs> um, yeah. So the thing. So yeah. So to summarize, uh, okay. I okay. guess I would say that I am. I, I How about you? Okay. Yeah, I'm okay too. Who knows when this thing's this thing's gonna go up Wednesday morning? Right now we're recording Tuesday morning, where it's weirdly sort of. Like we're for the past half hour, it's been kind of quiet. So this is, a, I guess, as good a window as any for us to record in. Yeah. We hope you all are doing okay and hanging in there. And um, uh, do you have any of the small wonders that the people crave and are always asking about? I mean, I started reading again. Yeah, reading's great. Yeah, that was kind of. I decided my unofficial New Year's resolution was to read more. Um, I have always really enjoyed it. Yes. Easy to stop doing it uh, when you have a small child and all you want to do is sleep in the interim. But I thought it would be good to read because it's something I like to do. Yes. Um, so I started doing it again. I'm reading Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Mm. It's a very like, motivating book uh, for people that are trying to kind of tap back into what makes them happy. Uh, yeah. And I would recommend it. I just finished a book that you got me for Christmas, I believe, about yeah. uh, deep sea exploration. It, I think it's called something Eternal Eternal Darkness. Yeah. There's a game called Eternal Darkness that I also really like. It's not that. It's about uh, deep sea exploration. And it was very interesting. I've been I've been researching that for, for reasons. Uh, yeah, was I was going to say that probably book. sounds confusing to our listeners, but Griffin is working on a project in which that book will hopefully will be helpful. Be helpful. Yes. Um, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of good books out there. I want to just give a quick shout out to that snow. It snowed in Austin. That never happens. Oh. It was beautiful. It was idyllic. It destroyed a tree in our yard, but that's the price. Sometimes you got to crack an egg. 
Definitely. I've been in Austin for 11 years, 12 years now. No, it'll, it'll be, Doesn't, I don't know. Couldn't matter, matter less. Uh, but I will say we have had snow, but that was by that far, was the best snow. we got like two inches or something. It was great. It was, yeah. it was rowdy. But that's my real small wonder is they aired, uh, they simulcast uh, football games on Nickelodeon <laughs> and they added a bunch of um, visual effects based on Nickelodeon characters like SpongeBob SquarePants occupying the field goal. Uh, posts like between them the perfect rectangle there was just a huge spongebob in there which was hysterical because whenever anybody missed it was like hell yeah spongebob done did it again great defense bob uh and there were also slime cannons virtual slime cannons that would shoot anytime anybody scored a touchdown uh i don't really care much about football really at all but i was heartbroken that i missed out on that because it sounded like a, a really wild time nickelodeon games and sports they should have access unfettered access to whatever sports that they want that they can kind of put their own sort of nickelodeon spin on it's time i think wild and crazy kids you know they should blend wild and crazy kids with what's a sport that needs it baseball yeah yeah you got to like chew a bunch of bubble gum and stick it into like a huge ball that's the only challenge from wild and crazy kids i i remember is you had to chew bubble yum and stick it to this scale to make the heaviest ball of chewed gum possible and i remember seeing that and thinking <laughs> i now have like a thing for gross stuff like i now no longer like gross sort of spit stuff um that's gonna stick with me my whole life uh, my small wonder is breakfast for dinner. Breakfast for dinner. We uh, order food out a lot, mostly because we're not very good at meal prep or planning. No. But I will say that we always have eggs. We always got eggs. And uh, so we had a little breakfast for Scrambled dinner Scrambled them night. up, threw some sausage in there, sliced up some potatoes, cumined them, fried yeah. them up. Ate, ate them on some uh, two-month expired <laughs> tortillas, but they they were okay. When um, I when I put and and I'm you know I'm gonna get some tweets about this. When I put a bread product in the fridge, yeah, which is one thing you're not supposed to do, but it's just it's what I've always known. Uh, it lasts forever. It lasts a long time. And so expiration does it dates, get hard and weird and kind of unpleasant? Yeah. to the tooth. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> uh, I go first this week. Uh, my first thing is the beautiful, sonorous sounds of the steel guitar. The steel guitar is, uh, I, I guess that could refer to a few things. If you want to talk about the, um, uh, you know, categorization of stringed instruments, like a steel guitar could be any sort of metal-bodied guitar, because that makes its own sort of unique sound, but... Uh, technically, when you're talking about a steel guitar, you're talking about a guitar that is played with a metal bar that you slide across the strings, um, which was actually how I kind of got into the instrument. Uh, the first guitar I ever got, Justin got into the guitar before me, like when we were young, and I was like curious about it and I would mess around with his. So uh, for Christmas, I think he got me like an old guitar that I think was like a Smurl family heirloom or something like that. But the neck was so bowed that I couldn't press the strings to the fretboard uh, because of my, <laughs> I had, you know, weak gamer fingers, but also like it was just impossible. Like the neck was yeah. so crazy bowed. But I could put, you know, uh, a Sharpie on the strings and like kind of recreate a steel guitar sound. So that's kind of how I played See, it I for a while. I thought that, that implement is just called a slide. 
And a slide not... guitar, well, there's lots of different kinds of slide guitars. The, the Venn diagram overlap is pretty huge, right? Like a steel guitar could be played, if you want to talk about like Mississippi Delta blues style, like they just hold it like a guitar and slide the thing around. Usually they'll have a metal rod on their pinky that they can slide around so they have their other fingers to play. But uh, a lot of folks do a lap guitar, um, which is yeah. another way of doing it. There's like a standalone console steel slide guitar. Like it's 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 one of those... Uh, every slide guitar is a steel guitar. But not every steel guitar is a slide guitar, I think. Anyway, I just really have always been obsessed with like that sound. It gets like a great portamento of the, the sliding notes and a really good vibrato that you can uh, really not get out of a guitar in any other sort of way. Um, and I think there's something that I really like about playing an instrument in like a novel way. Like it really makes you think about the fact that like these are just things that make sounds and the way that you elicit those sounds from them is not like inherently incorrect. Yeah, no, that's true. That especially goes against like if you've ever like learned formally a instrument, you are always taught very specifically like this is how it is played. Not me, though. I'm a freaking rebel <laughs> because I couldn't play the guitar. I literally would shred my... I got like really good calluses. They're completely gone now, but I got really good calluses on my fingers trying to play that guitar because it was just a... It was essentially a, a um, mandolin, but not the stringed instrument, the fucking <laughs> kitchen instrument that you use to slice potatoes very thin. It was essentially that, <laughs> but for fingers. Um, so the steel guitar, uh, it's also referred to as the Hawaiian guitar. It was uh, invented by a guy named uh, Joseph Kekuku, who uh, was a kid in Oahu walking along some railroad tracks with his guitar, and he saw this big-ass bolt on the ground, so he picked it up, and the story goes that he like accidentally banged it against the strings of his guitar, and he's like, oh, that's good. So then he started to find other things that he could bang against the strings to make it like make this this cool sound uh, going with like a like a bottleneck. Bottleneck guitar is another name for uh, for for this style of instrument. Uh, but he eventually just sort of landed on a metal bar that he would slide across the strings to make this noise and sort of took that sound on tour all over the um, the, the contiguous U.S., uh, like indigenous Hawaiian music was super popular in, in the U.S. in like the 1910s. Um, there was a musical, I believe, called The Bird of Paradise that kind of popularized the sound. But like in 1916, indigenous Hawaiian music was like the number one like music sold and enjoyed in, in, in well, the United States. Well, yeah, and that, that fascination with Hawaii like carried into like the Elvis years, you know? Yes, it, I mean, that also sort of lined up with when when the U.S. annexed yeah. Hawaii. So, I mean, I, I, you know, that fascination uh, was timed to that as well. Um, so so Joseph Kekuku took, his, took, took this instrument all over and that is sort of how it proliferated around the U.S. and then it influenced like all these other kinds of music, uh, I mentioned Mississippi Delta Blues is like, you know, probably the one that was most informed by it because it's hard to find any artist uh, that like didn't use a, a slide guitar in in, uh, in that genre, but also like other types of blues. Uh, bluegrass. Bluegrass traditionally uh, leans on a dobro, which is a really fun name for an instrument, but it's basically a resonator box, which is a type of guitar that you just slide a thing on. Uh, it's very cool. It looks like a juicer. A dobro is actually the virtual instrument that I use for the Taz Amnesty theme song. Uh, there's a lot of dobro in there. 
Um, but yeah, I just, I really like that sound. And it's also really fun to play. I haven't fucked around with it in a while, but like, it's actually in some ways kind of easy because you usually do an open tuning. So if you're new to guitar, you don't have to worry about like chord formations and stuff. You just, that's the sound of a slide guitar and a race car (laughs) and a motorcycle. Um, so there's a bunch of different songs I could play, but I want to play a track by Ben Harper, who is kind of like an aficionado of the, of the steel guitar, he has a very special kind of steel guitar that I can't remember the name of, but there was a manufacturer who made like 5,000 of this one very specific type of like very sort of uh, just straight steel guitar that you play in your lap. It doesn't have like this huge open body like a guitar has. It's just kind of like this this long bar that you play. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I sent you the video of him playing this song. It's uh, Paris Sunrise Number no. 7. Uh, and this was on uh, his 2007 album Lifeline, which he played under Ben Harper and the Innocent Criminals. Uh, and this song, the, the that whole album they recorded, I loved that album. It came out when I was in college, which is like, if you need makeout jams, like Ben Harper has got you when you are in college. Oh. Uh, and they recorded the album in analog in seven days while in Paris, which I did not know, but that now all of a sudden the title of the song makes a whole <laughs> lot more sense. Uh, and it's just five minutes and 17 seconds of just unadulterated slide steel guitar. So uh, I'm going to play a bit of that right now. Yeah, that's it. I like it. I like a slight. <laughs> have you ever been? Did you? Were you? Did you have like a Ben Harper phase? Did you like ever get into the no, steel guitar? No, missed at all? that. Missed that entirely. Wow. I mean, I so in college, uh, my boyfriend at the time, his dad was a musician, and he spent a lot of time learning instruments, and he had one of those like little slides. Yeah, and so he would kind of like tinker around uh but i don't know that i ever like went to a performance where it was done yeah uh i don't know that i've ever I th- actually i think i saw ben harper at bonnaroo that feels right that feels right to say that sounds like something that could be true i really think it was the time period right because i was in college you know like starting in the year 2000 it was coming right off of that like 90s rock and roll heat and so i feel like i was still very entrenched in that yeah and so i was very much like have we have we stopped listening to smashing pumpkins or was that still yeah i mean in the in the late aughts is when we got tinder so and i'm t-e-n-d-e-r not the app the application would come much much later um but you know we got gentle we got gentle i would go uh i definitely saw damien rice at bonnaroo like we would get tinder i remember like hearing people talk about dashboard confessional oh that's different and thinking like i'm too rock and roll for this new music uh, yeah, I mean, everybody everybody was too <laughs> rock and roll for fucking Dashboard. Um, I'm not going to hate on Dashboard. We probably have plenty of Dashboard fans in the, yeah, in the crowd. Yeah, I'm sure we do. Um, but hey, that's it for for my thing. For my first thing, you want to drink the coffee? No, I, did. I can do it quietly. I don't have to make a big production <laughs> out of it every time. But okay, yes. What is your first thing? <laughs> I want to say something to make you spit take. I've never actually organically done that. Did you know that? No, I didn't, but I'm adding that to the wiki. <laughs> I don't think I've ever, or I, I've like choked before. 
Uh, there was like a Mabim Bam bit that Justin made me laugh while I was drinking and it made me sort of gag, but I've never done it like a spit out. That would be gross. <laughs> I don't think anybody does that naturally. I think it's always a play. Who who spits? <laughs> ever. Ever. It's 2021. Do you ever have that friend that like would walk down the street and just like casually spit all the time? Yeah, sure. No. Yeah, sure. What no. is that? Yeah. What is that? I mean, I had friends who dipped. So like that was not uncommon oh. for the dipping. Oh, yeah. Get you a good... Good dip going? You're telling me you didn't dip? <laughs> I'm telling you 100% I did not. I didn't, I didn't dip either. <laughs> uh, I just I w- did Big League Chew. <laughs> Would you spit it out? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, I, for my first thing, wanted to take us to a oft-forgotten corner of the past several weeks, which is the poetry corner. Hey, okay. It's been a while. It has been a while. We need to class up the joint, don't we? Yeah. I, uh, you know, so I, I would say in the first couple years of the show, really tore through a lot of my, my top poets. Yep. And now I'm kind of trying to learn about new ones. Yeah. Uh, which isn't always easy. No. It's not like I walk into a CVS and there's like a poetry section, you know. Although you, I know you have been asking for that at CVS. <laughs> yeah, no, I walk in and I ask the woman at the register, I say like, okay, I, I see your hair care products, but yeah. where, where would I find, you know, the newest anthology? I need Pringles, vitamins, and a poem. And I know where to get <laughs> two of those. Uh, the poet I wanted to talk about is Anna Journey. Nah, I didn't know that one. Yeah, she's she's pretty new. She's okay. pretty, um, I mean, relatively new in, okay. the, in the scheme of poetry. Uh, her first book came out in 2009. Okay. Uh, so, that was 12 years ago. Yeah, but not anybody I learned about in school, because when I was in school, she did not have a published book yet. Okay. So she is from Virginia. Uh, born in 1980, she is a poet and essayist who uh, got a NEA fellowship for poetry in 2011. Uh, and she got her MFA at Virginia Commonwealth University and earned her PhD at University of Houston. Did you um, say Commonwealth? Common, I, I wanted to say Commonwealth. I'm pretty sure you said Commonwealth, which is way cooler. That is pretty cool. Which is way, way cooler. I imagine some people, some people have done that before. You go there. I'm not making fun of you. I'm celebrating you right now. And that's an important distinction because I'm imagining a school where people go and they like really wolf out and people are like, no, 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 no. It's a com. You got to be a common wolf. Like don't, <laughs> you're going crazy right now. That's not how wolves do it. I want you to be the median every day off the store shelf wolf. <laughs> that opens a lot of doors, doesn't it? It does. I mean, who is to say what a common wolf is? That's a good, I mean, probably uh, scientists who study wolves. They would be a good candidate for that, I think. But I mean, what is a common person, you know? Wow. Right? Wow, you just blew up my all my prejudice. And yeah. All my, you just really, you really opened my eyes just now. Yeah. There is no common wolf. Maybe that's what you learn when you get your degree at common wolf school. <laughs> And when you walk out, they hand you the diploma and they're like, and you unroll the diploma, it just says, there is no common wolf. And you're like, wow, I paid $65,000 for this. Is this degree still good? Or uh, Okay, so she has written several books. Uh, the first that I mentioned in 2009 was If Birds Gather Your Hair for Nesting. 
which I love. Very good. Sounds like a Fiona a Apple title. title. Yeah, very good. Uh, she has a book called Vulgar Remedies that came out in 2013. Uh, the Atheist Wore Gold Silk in 2017. And then a book of essays called An Arrangement of Skin in 2017. Okay. Uh, her poems are very kind of rooted in her experience. They're very like visceral and at times like kind of graphic. Uh, but there's something very like kind of refreshing and exciting about reading her work. It's hard to tell sometimes, you know, like when you read like a David Sedaris book and you're like, how fortunate that his family is so unusual because that gave him so much content. And then you think like maybe all of our families are that unusual and we're just not as good at writing as he Ooh, is. Yeah. What's <laughs> she, a, what's a common family, you know? Yeah. Right. Her poems, a lot of times, like, kind of are based in her own history, and you're just like, this is extraordinary. The stories you tell about your family, are you just really good at telling these stories, or do you really have just this really kind of unusual experience? Right. Uh, so I wanted to read a poem that kind of exemplifies that called Mississippi Origins. My parents come from a place where all the houses stop at one story for the heat where every porch front and back simmers in black screens that sieve mosquitoes from our blood, where everyone knows that there's only one kind of tea served sweet. The first time my father introduced my mother to his parents, his mother made my mother change the bedsheets in the guest room. She believed it a gesture of intimacy. My grandmother saved lavender hotel soaps and lotions to wrap and mail as gifts at Christmas. My grandfather once shot the head off a rattlesnake in the gravel driveway of the house he built in Greenwood. He gave the dry rattle to my mother the same week I was born, saying, why don't you make something out of it? That's the poem. Is that it? That's fucking great. That's the poem. What a good poem. <laughs> God, maybe it's just because it's been a while since you've brought the poetry quarter to the show, but I was enraptured that whole time. Like, yes. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to bring the kind of personal narrative. This is like when I started out uh, in graduate school trying to write poems specifically for my program, I really wanted to write from personal experience. And I just had a hard time not being like overly sentimental. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, or like finding what was interesting and kind of leaving it on its own. And I, I think a lot of times when you sit down to write a poem, you're you're like – you know, how do I get this like magical turn of phrase that's going to make everything seem more meaningful? Uh, and I feel like uh, Anna Journey is really good at just saying like, this is poetic in itself. And I'm right. just going to tell you it plainly. And, you know, and you'll kind of enjoy the story along the way. And and it'll be a poem when I'm done. <laughs> it requires like a superhuman amount of self-awareness, I feel like, to like mm -hmm. be able to pick and pick and choose the stuff from your like story that is like beautiful in that way without you needing to like f fluff it up, you know, mm -hmm. all, all over the place. Yeah. So this poem, I actually found the Missouri Review, which is the literary magazine I used to work at when I was at the University of Missouri, Columbia. Uh, they asked her kind of to tell the story of this poem. And she said, in my poem, Mississippi Origins, anecdotal fragments, sharp and sweet, poignant and stark, combined to create a locus for the family lyric. And that dried up rattlesnake rattle, which my mother declined to make into a baby rattle, 
definitely ranks as one of my family stranger heirlooms. That and the pair of brass knuckles my white-haired great aunts Mary and Joanna kept in their shared house in case they were called upon to punch potential burglars in the face. And the skull fragment from medical school my other grandfather uses an ashtray. We're a well-adjusted bunch. <laughs> Even that was poetic <laughs> in an know. incredible way. Just to be able, I mean, it's such that a- was like a sequel to the poem. <laughs> It's just like, it's a good exercise, I think, to like kind of zero in on those like kind of novel family stories to kind of figure out like, is there a poem here? Uh, and so I just read that. I was very inspired. I was like, this is a really good way to approach like a writing exercise if you're trying to figure out how to put something together. Yes. Um, that was incredible. Thank you for classing up the joint again. Um, can I steal you away? Yes. Cool. Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? (laughs) It's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. (laughs) Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, There's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? (laughs) Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, There's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis website design or website functionality, and you think, I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghost Rider, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh, your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um th- for the commercial the Super Bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain oh we have jumbo trongs do you want to hear them Because I have them. Yes. Okay, well, this one's for Brian, and it's from Kayla, who says, Hey, cutie, I hope you're having a good day, but if you aren't, I hope it gets better soon. You don't have to believe in yourself. Just believe in the me that believes in you. Your drill is the drill that will pierce the heavens. 
Also, you're cuter than baby bunny jump kicks. What is your preferred time frame for this message to air? <laughs> is not part of the message. I've just realized. And I apologize for that, Kayla and Brian. But um, congratulations on your great drill. Um, oh my gosh, Griffin has a great drill. I do have a great drill. I feel like that's an anime thing. I don't know a lot about that scene. I could. I don't want to put that on Brian and Kayla if that's if I'm inaccurate there. But in my heart of hearts, it feels like an anime thing. <laughs> I'm sure I'll hear about it from our our beloved fan base. Can I read the next message, please? This one is for Nate. It is from Benji. Hey Nate, I thought your Happy Time podcast would be the best place to say this. I'm so happy to have you as my big brother and a best friend. And I'm so proud to watch you grow and adapt through these hard years. It's been a long journey, but we've always worked through it together, and we always will. Love your dingus brother, Benji. That is super nice. That's super nice. Gotta have teamwork. Gotta have teamwork with the with the with the bros. That's all there is to it. When when bros work together, that's it. That's it. What's it like having a bro? It's like knowing you can do anything as long as you work together and you form up like a Voltron robot. That's beautiful. Thanks. Yeah, no. I mean, we literally do have sort of interlocking joints. You know how I have that flap on my shoulder that when you pop it down. I do. What is that for? And then my arm goes inside. That's where Travis's knee goes in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. that makes so much more sense. Uh-huh. Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we host After Game Show, a podcast where listeners submit games and we play them regardless of quality with a dozen listeners from around the world. We've had folks call in from as far as Sweden, South Africa, and the Philippines. Here's an example. Uh, Yesterdog, where players must sing a Beatles song but throw in the word dog and dog-related terms. Like, give an example, Manolo? Yeah. Hey, dog. Dog, 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 bone. Oh, okay. Dr. Game Show has new episodes every other Wednesday on Maximum Fun. Check us out. Check us out. Nice. Can I tell you about my second thing? Yes. Okay, my second thing is an episode of television that me and you watched very recently, and it was one of one of the hardest I think I've ever laughed like in my whole life. And so I want to sh- I want to share that with people. Although I imagine in our audience, a lot of folks have already seen this yeah, episode of television. There's, there's definitely some overlap. Uh, it is an episode of the Chris Gethard show called One Man's Trash. Uh, and even if you don't like follow, I feel like the Chris Gethard show, this episode when it came out, uh, got so much buzz because it was kind of, uh, incredible and a perfect little hour of television. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, boy, howdy. It lives up to, it lives up to everything I think everybody has said about it. Rachel and I have just started to watch Chris Gethard show, which is kind of wild because like, I know a lot of people who like worked on it. Yeah, especially especially because your showrunner, J- yeah, JD, that was... you all just hired, just kind of based on a good impression, like had a whole body of work that you all could have like sat well, down. Well, no, and... <laughs> I mean we knew about his body of work, and and you know we we that makes it sound like we just picked the, some random dude off the street. Well, no, I'm just saying like like when he said that he was like intimately involved in that, it seems yes. like everybody could have been like should we should we should we see if he's yeah it has been great though because we've been friends with jd for like five years now and 
like seeing him on the Chris Gethard show as he is frequently sort of depicted as uh, the the sort of object of torment that is sort of raked over the coals uh, in in the production. Uh, yeah, of Yeah, I mean, the, the Chris Gethard show was live and it involved a lot of comedians and a lot of kind of hijinks, hijinks, exactly. And to have somebody be able to kind of turn that into an episode uh, was was a very, very powerful thing and, and definitely boded well for your experience with J.D. Yes. Making the, the show. And we've also been getting a lot of recommendations from from Sarah, who uh, does our, our social media stuff and, well, a ton of stuff uh, at, at our with, with our, our business. Yeah. And she was uh, also there. She was also there. Yeah, she was. She 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 worked on the show also. Uh, anyway, one man's trash. Uh, do not, this is one of those things that you can spoil for yourself and you should not. To that point, uh, I think all the Chris Gethard show episodes are on YouTube, like on his channel. There's two versions of One Man's Trash and one is like the dumpster edition. Do not watch that. Do not watch the dumpster edition, which is longer because it spoils (laughs) like, it spoils the whole episode basically right away. Uh, the premise of this show I mean, the premise of the Chris Gethard show is it was like a live public access show and then it was an internet streaming show and then it was on like a few different uh, networks and it is oftentimes like a a complete mess. Uh, But there is something about that that like Chris Gethard has always kind of celebrated and said like that is more entertaining to me than like very well produced traditional comedy television. Uh, Yeah, he has a kind of a real clear mission statement for a show that is as chaotic as it is. I feel like he makes it very clear of like, I am trying to make something that is unusual and that is more real than a typical like talk show format. Right. So even when like it it makes me uncomfortable watching a live performance not go well. And there have been segments that have like not gone well, uh, but still watching them like give the thing form is like so rewarding and so cool to watch. And then it makes the episodes where everything fires off perfectly, which is the case in One Man's Trash, makes it like a truly spectacular feat. Um, so it's a great show. It's all on YouTube. We've been it's a treasure trove. We've been we've been diving deep into it. But One Man's Trash is is the best episode I, I think we've seen so far. It has two guests, Jason Mansukas and Paul Shear, who have been on the show a few times. One of the episodes they just fucking take over. Uh, Chris Gethard decides to leave and just like as punishment for bullying him so much, just like make them host the show by themselves and they do it they, <laughs> in, sort of empirically. It is uh, it's a, yeah, it's a I, I will say so. Chris Gethard has has UCB training, right? Uh, as does Paul Shear and Jason Manzukis. Um, and the same thing, like they try to steamroll him like this entire episode. They bully him like this entire episode. And this episode, the premise is there's a dumpster in the studio and there's something inside the dumpster. And Paul and, and Jason and all the callers, the live call-in uh, callers, have to guess what's inside of it. And like, there's a twist in the episode. The guesses are like, they range from like silly to like weirdly accurate. Uh, and then there's a twist about halfway through the episode after Jason and and, uh, and and Paul Shear have just been really riding Chris Gethard's jock where he shows them what's inside the dumpster. And there is a <laughs> switch that is flipped. There is a re- reaction yeah. from the, because he talks up, Chris Gethard talks up like, it is life changing. What is in this dumpster <laughs> is going to change the tone of the entire show. 
And Jason Manzoukas and, and, and Paul Shear are just like, yeah, whatever, man. And then they see it and immediately just like yeah. shut up. They They're are just super invested. Super invested. Because like, the promise of the show is that if nobody guesses it, they are just they not They never will reveal. show what's inside of it. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I do not want to say much else. I know this yeah. is like a short segment, but like it is a it is perfect. It is just like perfect. Yeah. I think I have been thinking about this episode of television like every day since the day that we watched it because <laughs> there were so many times they set up like at the beginning, like if somebody guesses what this is in the first 10 minutes, we don't have 50 more minutes of show. <laughs> like that's just going to be it. Uh, it is it, the 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 pace at which the answers like dial in to the correct answer yeah. is perfect. Like so what happens with the callers is they will guess something and they can ask a question, and a lot of times they will ask questions that will help people kind of zero in. Yes, on what it is. I will say the thing that I told Griffin that I thought was interesting is that it was such a phenomenal idea that they could never do again. Because once, like, once you realize what is in the dumpster, that, like, sets the tone for, like, following episodes if you were to do the gimmick yes. again. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So, I was just like, what a great idea that you could never Never replicate. ever do it again. <laughs> um, yeah. And then after you have watched it, there is a, an Inside the Dumpster edition where you can watch the perspective of the episode from within the dumpster. It is, it is uh, <laughs> seriously... I, uh, if you if you need uh, a a a a laugh right now, not to minimize the you know horrible shit that's going on, but uh, I it's 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 amazing. It's so good. It's funny on an objective level, and then from like a live television produ- production level, it is a literal miracle. Like it is a it is a a perfect thing. Uh, that I just, I, I love to pieces. We've also been watching The Night of Zero Laughs, which is also right up our alley. Uh, it's a series they do where they get a, a big panel of comedians and nobody can laugh or they get kicked out of the studio. It's got big documental energy. I think we've talked about documental on the show before. Yeah. Anyway, what's your second thing? My second thing kind of came to me and just like kind of a, like a bolt of electricity. You mentioned this. Um, it wasn't anything that I'd really thought much about, but as soon as I found it, I was like, well, yeah, this is what I should be talking about. Uh, and that is auctioneers. Hey. Yeah. You like that? Yeah. It's fascinating. It's, it's a fascinating talent. Uh, and there's so much that goes into it that I did not realize. Uh, there's this like kind of musicality to it and this like performance element. And it's such a like specialized skill that's been around for such a long time. I've never known anybody to actually doing it. Have you ever been to a cattle auction? No. I have. You have? Yeah, man. Yeah, I've been to a cattle auction. I've been to two cattle auctions. (laughs) I've been to two different cattle auctions. How? How did this occur? Uh, One was uh, our youth pastor growing up. uh, His parents lived on a farm, so we would do like camp out trips out onto the farm and like go spelunking in wild caves and shit like that it was very it was very good very fun uh but then like one morning after uh like one of these these campouts we went to a cattle auction and it was i mean it's rad it's as rad as you think it's gonna be it's a, they go they they have bars you know they go very fast with their talking i like that a lot yeah but you said you went twice i can't remember the other one i just have a second vivid memory of being at a cattle <laughs> auction uh, so the way of speaking is called chanting, mm. and 
there is a, a kind of a reason that they do it that way, not only to give kind of a sense of urgency, but to kind of create this structure of call and response. Like people get kind of like pulled into the rhythm of it and kind of encourages them to participate and to kind of keep the bidding going. And apparently auctioneers take home 10 to 20% of the sale price. Whoa! So that is a big motivator, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> there are all these techniques about, you know, identifying, first of all, identifying what a bid is. Because a lot of times, you know, you'll like have to scan the crowd and figure out yes. who is actually bidding and who is just very warm. We were example. explicitly told <laughs> to like st- be yeah. a statue because you don't want to accidentally buy like a, you know, $900 Black <laughs> Angus steer. <laughs> Uh, and then to also, once bidding has started and you've kind of narrowed down your bidders to kind of look back and forth and kind of build that sense of competition between the people that are bidding. Yeah. Um, there are about 50 schools in the United States that teach you how to do this. Um, and the, uh, 27 states require auctioneers to be licensed, which is why those schools exist. What a wild thing to require a light, not to diminish the the job or whatever but what a wild thing to require a license for yeah i mean so they the articles i read so i read one from slate and one from vox and they talk about uh how this is not a style you would see for example at christie's or sotheby's uh there is a more restrained british style of auctioneering that does not require this kind of performance yeah but uh you know as you mentioned livestock this is the way to go they get wild in there man it's a party uh, so th- what happens at these schools, um, some of them require 80 hours of training uh, or you complete an apprenticeship. Uh, some states require you to stand up and auction an item as part of the test. Uh, and there are written questions dealing with auctioneering ethics and legal obligations. Okay. So, th- I mean, this is, this, is a, this is a licensed program. You know, you are, you are learning something that has a certain amount of knowledge and expertise behind it. Yeah, I guess I don't know what the ethics of auctioneering is. I think, I mean, you're saying a lot of stuff, right? And you're trying to motivate people to bid. Okay. But in the process of motivating people to bid, you could potentially, you know, bully somebody into spending yeah. more. Come on, don't, don't be a baby. Come on. <laughs> what are you, little baby? Hey, stupid hat, stupid hat. What's your bid? Stupid, stupid hat, hat, stupid hat. <laughs> don't have enough money, stupid hat. Is that what's up, stupid hat? <laughs> And so there, there are different exercises. Um, basically, they said it's not – so the interview I read was with a, uh, a 2015 winner uh, who said that, you know, you're not actually going that fast. You're basically saying the same thing, but you're developing these, like, compound phrases like what I want to give and now a dollar and a lot of, like, dollar bitter now, $2 bitter. You're, like yeah. – you're, you're, you're kind of getting into the chant of it. And there's all these phrases like, all right, how many dollars there? What do you want to get for them? You know, like that kind of have this musicality built in. Yeah. And if you say it all together, it becomes this kind of like rhythmic, you know, poetry almost. Yeah. And then there's other lines where they're like, hey, pretty baby, won't you give me a sign? I'll do anything <laughs> to make you mine all mine. We'll do your bid and be at your beck and call. Come on. John Michael Montgomery. No, soul. I know, I know, but I don't know the, the lyrics. Grundy, you don't know the lyrics. I don't know how to participate in this. Never seen anyone looking so fine. Do anything to make your mind on mine. I'm going on, going twice. I'm sold to the lady in the second row. She's an eight, she's a nine, she's a ten. I know she's got ruby red lips, blonde hair, blue eyes. I'm about to make her my heart's desires. 
You really don't know every word to that song? Only since I have met you has that song hit my radar. Entered your life? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's fair. Mm -hmm. So there is a world championship. Oh, yeah. That is uh, the Livestock Marketing Association's championship. Uh, They do it each year. The Vox article from 2015 was from the winner of that year, who uh, was actually from West Virginia. Hey, all right. Um, and this this kind of competition, like people spend a very significant part of their lives trying to win. Uh, he had been in the competition for nine years Woo. before he won. Uh, but he said... <laughs> In this interview, he said, quote, we used to play cattle auction with my cousins when he was growing up. Awesome. Um, He said that he was like 12 or 13 going to auctions. And then at 15, he got his first job. Uh, And he now lives in Alabama and has been an auctioneer for uh, over a decade. Rad. For whatever reason, the Vox article felt the need to list out the things that he has sold, including swine, sheep, goats, cattle, horses, and cars. Cars, I was going to ask if yeah. that's a that's a high pressure, that's a high pressure sale. I feel like this winner that I am talking about uh, is Brandon Neely, and he uh, took the step of securing the uh, WLAC champion Twitter account, oh. which he still holds despite not being the champion. So good on you for for securing that. Yeah. <laughs> So at the competition, judges evaluate the 30 auctioneers on their livestock knowledge during the interview, as well as on their performance in a real auction, including bid catching ability, meaning like noticing everybody in the crowd, uh, clarity of chant, voice quality, and overall knowledge. Uh, The 2019 winner, they did not do the competition in 2020 because of everything. The 2019 winner, Russell Sleep, is a, a graduate of the Missouri Auction School. Uh, lives in Iowa. Uh, he was also a nine-time top 10 qualifier before he, he won the whole thing. He's a natural. There, If you go to the website, the uh, Livestock Marketing Association website, you can purchase a CD of these oh, auctions. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to rip that and do remixes. Of yeah. It. Um, hey, can I tell you what our friends at home are talking about? Yes. Corinna says, my small wonder is tea sets. I never enjoyed tea because it got cold too fast, but now I can make a big pot of it and drink it from small, cute, manageable cups. And it doesn't get cold nearly as fast as making a big mug of tea. The process also feels very fancy and ritualistic. I miss tea. I used yeah. to have a little cool old tea press thing. You remember I was into tea for like a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should get back into tea. Yeah. Maybe that'll be my, my weird twenty. We always have tea. Somehow, uh, neither of us are particular tea drinkers, but for whatever reason, our cabinet always has like- We have a lot of tea. If we wanted to drink tea, tea we would it. have a lot. Yeah. I don't know if tea goes bad. <laughs> Probably not. It's just dry leaves. What's it going to do? Get drier? I mean, spices go bad. I think yeah, they lose their potency. Uh, Logan says, my small wonder lately has been the YouTube channel Up, Up, Down, Down. It is ran by the wrestler Xavier Woods slash Austin Creed. The channel is all about wrestlers as themselves and not their characters playing video games. That's uh, that's uh, uh, the New Day, Xavier Xavier Woods. Oh, okay. Uh, and he, he has other wrestlers. I've watched it. I, I adore uh, I, I I adore that channel. Um, what a delight! I love the new. It day. is a delight. It is so fun. Uh, like he really knows his, his stuff about games, and a lot of the wrestlers that he brings on there does too. I missed him at a. Uh, he was on. I was on a Giant Bomb live show, and he was like on the panel right before me. 
So I missed my name. Oh, that would have been great. Say what's up. Um, thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use for our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. Thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network. Go to MaximumFun.org. Check out all the great shows that they have there, please. Uh, I'm going to recommend this week Bullseye. Whoa. I'm going to say Bullseye. What a bold choice. Yeah. No, Bullseye's amazing. It's amazing. There is a, a great interview that we promoted, and if you haven't checked it out, uh, between Jesse Thorne and David Letterman. Ooh, yeah. Jesse Thorne, if you've only listened to Jesse Thorne on Jordan Jesse Go, you've got to check out Bullseye because uh, he is an incredible interviewer, and it is not something that you get to experience on Jordan well, Jesse Go. I've been on Jordan Jesse Go before, <laughs> and I felt thoroughly interviewed yeah. by the end of it. <laughs> Just about like Pokemon and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's it. Uh, I, I, it's it. Please take care of yourself out there. Uh, we again, we're a day in advance recording this, so we don't know like what the vibe is when you are hearing it. I hope it is okay, and I hope you all are doing well. Um, and I don't want to make light of that, but I have to go to the bathroom so bad I might. Oh, I might actually. Oh, there's yeah, the urgency. This, I don't know if you could tell the energy that I've been putting out for the last like <laughs> ten minutes, but it's the uh oh. Uh, there's about to be a whoopsie in the studio energy, so let's cut it off in three, two, one. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.